0: You're listening to Talking Threat Intelligence, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the new challenges of today's threat landscape. Each episode, we connect with some of the world's leading practitioners to share stories from the front lines of corporate security. And now, on to the show.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Talking Threat Intelligence, sponsored by LifeRapt. I'm your host, Robert Value. Joining me on the show today is Ben Barentine, Vice President of Executive Services at 360 Privacy. Ben, thanks for joining me today.
0: Yeah, thanks, Rob. Glad to be here.
1: So we were talking a bit about this before the show. As it relates to protecting executives and VIPs, what should corporate security teams start doing?
0: Yeah, so honestly, in in a word, it's, it's full spectrum, right? Having a full spectrum approach. Utilizing digital executive protection as a supplement to the corporate program, ensuring that some sort of cross-functional relationship is established, whether that's with the protective intelligence team, whether that's with the executive protection team, all the way down to the actual on-site security teams. So you kind of have a unified front, if you will, when you're going to put a plan together for executives, the principal agents whatever that plan is, and then incorporating the digital side of it. That's kind of what you know we're pushing today. We want to see more of that. And that's the number one thing that I think that most corporate security teams need to start looking at in the future.
1: What are some of the big reasons that you believe that a lot of corporate security or physical security professionals aren't doing this already?
0: Oh, one of the reasons I think they're not doing it right now is just because As we all know, technology evolves faster than humans, right? We have all of these plans in place to harden technology, to adapt. We see a lot of that with AI right now, but at the end of the day, the dumbest computer in the room is the human. And so we are slower to adapt. A lot of people also think that the whole, if I had a nickel for every time I've heard. uh, Well, I'm not on social media. So I'm I'm good online. I don't have an online footprint because I don't have social media when in reality, You've got a credit card, you've got a a cell phone. We have all of these things that interconnect us to the digital world. And you have a massive digital footprint, but most people attribute social media to your digital footprint or your online footprint. And I say this all the time, that last to adapt is the first to perish. And especially with physical security teams, the old adage of, you know, guards, gates, and guns worked for a long time. That was the gold standard where now when you start incorporating that online portion, right? The digital portion. And, and I think that's kind of that—that's one of the reasons why, who isn't doing it, while they're, well, they're a little bit behind the curve. You know, It used to be, hey, let's push this to get you to be proactive. Now we're entering into the space where if you don't have a digital or a virtual wing to your physical security program, you're almost behind the curve.
1: Yeah, it was interesting the point that you made about social media there. When I started at Life for app and just being introduced to this whole world of digital threat intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to family and friends and the same kind of thing. It's like, well, I don't have Facebook. I don't have Instagram. I don't, I don't need to worry about that. And you would just yeah. like go on the app and be like, well, here's all the stuff I can find with no OSINT skills. Absolutely. And just like learning this business in like two weeks, let alone what people really know that of, of what's going on and it can be quite surprising
0: for people who haven't been through that experience. Oh, before. absolutely. It's part of the, almost a pre-sales tool that we use today, where it's, you can take $5, $30, whatever it may be, go to any of the data broker sites, find your social security number, your address, your home address, your you know, kind of get into it later, but you know, those, you know, where's your mother's maiden name, the street you grew up on, all of that's publicly available.
1: Mm-hmm. What are some of the big Threats that clients can expose themselves. So you've already touched on them a little bit, but what are some of the biggest threats that clients can expose themselves to if they're not taking the digital world as seriously as compared to, like you mentioned, the guards, guns, and gates?
0: Right. The biggest threat is, and as I mean this politely, it's it's ignorance, right? You know, if in the digital space, as a former targeter, we, we want the target. To, to be ignorant that they are being probed, right? The longer that they are kept in the dark, the more time and resource that I can put to you without you knowing, it's a, a dream come true for me, right? And so if you'll see, you know, fishing, right? The fishing will just, will skyrocket for someone who is either ill-prepared or not prepared at all, or has doesn't have a program in place. Being social engineered, that's the big thing right now, you know, within the last couple of years, let's say five years, social engineering and phishing, those are really the name of the the game when it comes to physical attacks, right? For every physical attack in, you know, North America, let's say, or even in Europe, there is a very, very good chance that it started on with an online attack, right? And so unless you have those buttoned up online, you're just opening yourself up to an actual physical attack. And that's the last thing that we want.
1: Right. So the, so the two big things that you're mentioning here, are phishing, social engineering, physical attacks, like if I right. can find your address online or through some kind of online records, data brokers, anything like that, now more exposed to, you know, stalking, showing up here at your house, yeah. knocking on your door when I don't want that to necessarily happen.
0: Exactly. And, you know, physical security teams, you know, the, the big thing it's in the name, right? Is they never want someone, they are there for when someone does knock on the door, when there is a threat actor, on your doorstep. And in a sense, digital executive protection the, the digital side of the house almost, instead of getting rid of the threat, when it shows up to the door, we just make sure that the threat actor never finds the door. What happens if they never can find the door or make it harder for them to find the address to show up? They're just going to move on to that next person. that's not a hard target.
1: Yeah. I remember talking to a security consultant one time about The best way to protect yourself, his advice when it was like defending your home was just make your house look more dangerous or difficult to break into than the next house. You know, have a dog bowl, have a warning, beware dog sign. Just like, it's like, okay, that's just a little harder. I'll go to the one where I know there's not a dog. So it's kind of the same thing that you're talking about. If I got to invest that extra five hours to target this particular person. Maybe I go to the next person rather than-
0: Yeah, exactly. There's a threshold. Everyone has a threshold. And when it comes to targeting, it is time and resource. And so when we know that if I'm gonna sit here and I have, like you said, five hours to dedicate to this one person, if I see that they do have certain uh, plans implemented, they're being probed, they're a very hard target, they're making good digital decisions, well, then I'm not gonna keep spinning my wheels trying to get in, I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna move on to that next family. And just like you said, you know, no one is, no one's hundred percent protected. It's the exact same thing online. It's 2023. If someone really wants to come after you, they're, they're going to, but all we have to do is make sure you are just below that threshold to where them spending the time and resource outweighs the reward of them actually exploiting you. And they're just going to move on to that next person. And so that's kind of what we say. And what I preach is becoming a hard target below that threshold. Okay. So
1: there's the keyword there that I clued into there. I was feverishly taking notes on a, on a yes. bunch of things that you're mentioning. But I like that idea of making yourself a hard target. I just want to put a pin in that for a yep. second. Yep. The other thing that you mentioned in previously in your answer that I want to circle back to was your experience in actually targeting adversaries.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'd just be kind of curious because I don't think a lot of people get to hear someone who has been on that side of the computer. What is in your mindset when you're targeting someone, when, when you're trying to launch these kind of attacks, what are you looking for?
0: I'm looking for the easiest point of entry, right? The harder it is for me to glean any type of information, the harder it is for me to either access a router or get you to click a link, the more vulnerable I am. The spotlight grows and grows and grows upon me. So I'm looking for that easy point of entry. I'm looking for the soft target within that support system. And oftentimes, and more often than not, If I, or when a targeter is going after a principal, so let's say the executive of a firm, if they know what they're doing, and most of them do, they're gonna go after the support system. Everyone likes to think that, you know, the CEO, for instance, of a company is the most vulnerable, but oftentimes we forget that the EA, right? The support system, the spouse at home, perhaps a a living mother mother-in-law, whatever it may be, someone who still has access to the network, someone who has access to the same email, those types of points of entry, most of the time they are often forgotten about from the security team. And so that's where I'm gonna focus. That's one of the other things that when we're working with security teams, we're working with corporate teams as a whole, is getting them into the full spectrum mindset of the support system and including the EA, including HR, including people who have access to sensitive information, in those same security plans. Because if I know that I'm going to go after that person, that's going to be the point of entry in which I target.
1: Ben, that's such an important point, because automatically it changes your mindset. Like, okay, you got the the principal or the VIP on lock. Great. Right. But oftentimes you're not thinking about all those other people around the EP. Mm-hmm. And I have this when I'm having uh, conversations with people, sometimes they'll be saying like, well, you know, why would anyone want to target me? I, I don't have anything that they would particularly want Well, no, maybe you don't have anything yourself that they're going after. You're not an executive, but you have connections that they might want to get to. And this is when I'm seeing the phishing scams all the time. When I'm, you know, targeted by someone, are they trying to get to me? Maybe, maybe not. But there's certainly people I have connections to that they want to target. Or, and certainly, and most of us have connections to someone that they would want to get in target too, so... Mm-hmm. Like you said, it expands the surface area of what, what you need to be focused right. on.
0: Time and resource, right? You, we never know just how much time and resource the attackers have. And again, say you you may not be the end goal. They may be coming to you so they can get just a little bit closer to that executive team. And, you know, when it comes to the iCloud and device sharing plans, it can be just as simple as hacking a Facebook to get on to a device or email to a device, device to a network, network to the in-office network, right? So it can leapfrog and daisy chain pretty quickly.
1: Right. All right. So now I want to transition to. I, I love the terminology that you use, making yourself a hard target and making those good digital decisions. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me if I'm head of you know EP security or I'm, I'm protecting a VIP, where do you suggest that I get started to to make my client a, a tougher digital target?
0: Yeah, absolutely. When I teach these classes, it's always comes back to, you know, you can get as as deep or as shallow as you want. But in the end, we have kind of what I call the the four pillars of success, which is, you know, the first and foremost is becoming accountable of your digital footprint. So meaning owning what is out there, finding out what is being distributed about you online. Uh, That's the second pillar, you know, becoming aware of what is being distributed online. So now not only are we Becoming aware of what is out there, what's already out there, cleaning it up, getting in a good, let's call it a, a fighting position, a good, secure foundation. Now, once it's clean, the clean slate, now anything new that's coming out, we can respond quickly and efficiently and strategically rather than guessing, well, how long has this been out there, right? So we want to get into that good, clean position. The third pillar, constantly and secure devices and accounts. That kind of goes without being said. But a lot of people don't understand that automatic updates are not automatic. And so there's another thing is when it comes to Wi-Fi, using your devices, the oldest device, your smart network is only as smart as its dumbest device. So old devices, updating things. Those are those easy entry points. Um, On that note, a lot of times it's kind of just used as a case study. What happens as parents and as families, you know, we have an old tablet, an old iPad. If you have kids, oftentimes that old iPad is given to your kids to play whatever game it may be. Well, that old iPad probably hasn't been updated and that old iPad is still connected and it's bringing everything down. And so just, again, having that mindset of, okay, what all actually is interconnected here? Lastly, developing that healthy skepticism online This just uh, my semi-professional way of saying, developing a a spidey sense, right? So if you receive an email, if you see a text message or you're being contacted from someone and there's a sense of urgency, right? Because we've all seen it. Hey, you're late on your taxes or whatever it may be. We call it, at least I call it cognitive tunneling. They want you to get you focused here while they're attacking you over here, all to the side, and we've all seen marketing emails and whatnot, they always have the most money. Everything is fast and sharp and sexy and wants to get your attention right away. Well if you see something and it feels off, 99% of the time in this space it is off.
1: Great. I was once again feverishly taking down a bunch of notes so there's a ton of great info there, Ben. Lots of great takeaways for everyone in the audience. I kind of want to dive into a, a couple of those points that stood out to me first. Yeah. The first one being in part one, where you talk about taking accountability for your digital footprint, mm-hmm. what is the type of information that you're talking about in that sense? Can you tell me a bit more about that and what is the process for taking this stuff down?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's things called data brokers, data aggregators, these website marketing websites, lead generation tools, which are great. They They make a lot of businesses run, but then also... There are those that, these are not the ones that you have to have a license. You don't have to have a certification to have access. Anybody with a credit card and an internet connection can log on and get your information. There are hundreds of those sites that have your social security number, your identification number, home address, your phone number, stuff like that. Um, And so becoming accountable. So having a team, doing an assessment, figuring out exactly what can be found on you. That's one of the, the principles, those pillars I was talking about. And then doing something about it, enlisting the help of someone to delete those off. Now they are, you can't opt out, but with 500 sites and a lengthy process per, oftentimes a single person can't do it. And so again, that's something that we offer as well. And other companies do that as well, as far as their foundational product or service. But just having something, right, is better than nothing. Establishing the threshold, as we say. Mm-hmm. I loved
1: one of the points that you mentioned in our pre-interview last week. And, mm-hmm. and you talked about like maintaining that vigilance is also important because you can do a great job cleaning it all up, but then things still slip out. And exactly. and I think the example that you used was, you know, client signs up for orange theory or yeah. you know, gym membership or something like that. And then boom, it, you know, your information's with the new data broker and it's starting to be shifted exactly. around and stuff like that. I, I love that constant vigilance because it's so yeah. difficult. Once you start taking that data privacy thing seriously, you realize like Every little place that you go, Everywhere. something's being sold somewhere.
0: Yeah. And this isn't, you know, a tenfold hat of, hey, you know, don't sign up for anything because it's, again, 2023. I tell all my clients, you know, what's the point of having a smartphone if it doesn't do all the smart things that you want it to do? And so I encourage people to continue to live their life, but just know it's a give and take. But if you are going to continue living your life and living the life that 99% of Americans, including myself, live, you just have to have a plan in place including a PII remediation program, something that's at least a daily scan or weekly scan, just because of how often they pop up. You know, again, we were working with a client and we started seeing ticks. We always ask, you know, hey, what did you do over this month that may have changed? And they'll kind of tell us some things, some rewards points that they signed up for. And we can actually pinpoint some of those ticks in data consumption and selling to those reward points, but you do have to stay on top of it, or at least have some sort of method of staying on top of it. Yeah.
1: I, I like that point that you made about the tinfoil hat thing, because you start watching this stuff online, you can get really into, okay, I'm just, I'm staying at home. I'm not going out anywhere. Do you get pushback from clients? Like this is too strict, or how do you communicate that? And how do you find that balance with
0: clients? So that uh, a great question, especially in our executive services team, our concierge program, at, at least at 360, Every conversation we have, we make it to where it's tailored. It's white glove. We have everything from CTOs of major tech firms to pro athletes um, and everywhere in between of their technical ability. Right. Some people barely want to use email. Other people created email. And so we have to have a plan and pushback of, hey, if you want to be, you know, a quote unquote ghost online, you want to go dark. We can build that out. Absolutely. You know, that's fun. But then also if you want to dial it back, we'll have that plan in place as well. What I like to do is I put four or five layers of security around all of my clients. So that way they can live their life. And if they only want to do two to to three, maybe four of those, not all of them at once. Because I don't even do all five at once because, you know, I'm not a crazy person. You know, I I want to live my life and have a somewhat normal day to day. But at the end of the day, it's still below that threshold. You don't have to bury your cash in the backyard, as they say, to maintain wealth. And so it's kind of that same philosophy, just to stay below the threshold.
1: Right. I like that point that you made about that some people are pre-email, some people are email, and now there's people coming in Gen Z, Gen Alpha or whatever that are like (laughs) post-email.
0: Yeah, post-email. It's
1: just changing. I don't want to ask about what it means to have a a healthy skepticism because Mm -hmm. our audience are, you know, they're, you know manager, security manager, right. chief security officer. So I think a lot of them have that healthy skepticism when they're engaging online. But I'd be curious to hear from your experience of how you communicate that to your clients about how to develop that, what tools you have for teaching clients to build up that skill set for themselves.
0: So honestly, one thing that I do is that even when I'm phished, when I can identify as fish or scam, I will take a screenshot and I have a playbook of things. And when people say, you know, I don't know what it looks like. You know, what does the, what does a scam look like? I can actually show them the differences between a scammed email, say for a bank, for instance, with a nice header versus the, the real one, right? So showing what right looks like upfront and anything outside of those left and right limits, send it to us. So that's where in the beginning, it's very slow process. There's a lot of back and forth of, Hey, this looks like phishing. What do you think? Hey, this doesn't look right. I'm not really sure, but I just want to get your opinion on it. And so we start building that encouragement and support behind the client saying no that was a good choice that was absolutely thank you for sending that and over time they start realizing again what right looks like what wrong looks like and they're building that healthy skepticism they're building that digital hygiene that internally and it's actually great to see over time where i may not hear from you know that first month to six month. it's a very daily weekly conversation But eventually it's my goal to make sure that you can, you know, survive on your own in the digital environment. So it's always wonderful when a client will send me a note or something and say, Hey, I didn't send this over, but I knew it was scamming. You know, it's like, it's like a proud dad moment where it's like, awesome. I can kind of step away and help this person. So it's it's always pretty neat.
1: Well, I love that point. And what I really tuned into there was building that friendly relationship and being encouraging and not too discouraging. At least that's the impression that I got from the answer because... I know a lot of people who maybe aren't comfortable necessarily dealing with, you know, security and they got the reputation sometimes of the know-it-all. It was like, I can't believe you'd fall for that. You know, right. I'm not going to want to deal with that guy. I don't want to feel like an idiot every time I'm calling. And so yeah, no, I'm not going to follow up. But if I'm getting positive vibes from this person, they're a friendly person. When I think about the, the best, you know, chief security officers that built a great security culture my experience have always been these super friendly. They'd never bring that know-it-all kind of attitude. And it just, it makes people want to work with them over time and build those relationships.
0: Yeah. And a lot of that, I think at least at 360, where we're from is the majority of us came from a special operations background within the military where we're very used to training people. We have the ability to convey that because we were all what, all of us at one point in time, we're at the same level of education or at least technical proficiency as our clients we bring that to the table with that same experience of customer service a very customer centric platform and program here and just like you said you know we've had tremendous feedback from it uh, i too personally like i don't want to work with somebody that's you know arrogant or condescending so we bring that to the table as well as being someone that we would want to work with ourselves
1: what is a warning sign for, like I said, a chief security officer or someone who's protecting a principal mm-hmm. that they might be getting something wrong or that they might have a big exposed vulnerability that they don't know about?
0: Absolutely. So obviously phishing, I can't hammer phishing enough right now just because of how many companies, how many people are susceptible to it. So an uptick in phishing, but then also from a managerial point, when you're looking at your case study or your cases, when you're looking at your tickets that are coming in, how many are reactive and how many are proactive, right? Are you spending the majority of your time being reactive to incidents or have you put enough proactive plans in place, including the physical security, that you don't have to worry about that down the road? And so what I've seen working with corporate security teams is if a little bit of work now can save you a lot of headache in the end, reducing the attack surface immediately minimizing the resource and reallocating protectors on the ground. By doing that, you're saving time. You're saving money. You have a faster response time. You're being proactive so that your reaction time is smaller. If you're seeing that your reactive cases, your reaction time is growing, then maybe we need to look into a a digital version, a supplementation of that digital exec protection into your program.
1: All right. Ben, I want you to put on your prediction hat for a mm-hmm. second. I've seen a lot of the new AI technologies coming out now, like ChatGPT mm-hmm. and MidJourney and stuff like that. And I, I'm kind of curious to hear like your perspective on how this is changing the game for digital executive
0: protection. So our CEO is actually in here right before the podcast, we had this exact conversation of... We're targeted every day. We, as a privacy company, get fished or get probed all the time, and some of them are pretty good, right? I mean, even to us, you know, a quote-unquote, no subject matter expert in the industry, we'll even take screenshots and send it to each other, be like, "Get a load of this! Like, what, what do you think?" You have to actually really look at it. So it is substantial, and it's only going to get worse. However, I mean firm believer that with every advancement in AI, and I support advancement in technology and AI, but we have to have an equal or parallel security measure in place, whether that is education, whether that is newer technology to combat it, or at the end of the day, to kind of come full circle for what we are talking about at the beginning, you know, we are the dumbest computer in the room. At the end of the day, you can have a very secure, a robust security plan, but if the human is the endpoint, in this discussion and you're not making good, healthy digital hygiene decisions, it's all a moot point. And so developing an education sense, questioning things, you get a phone call that is an AI-generated voice, hang up, call the actual number, whether Bank of America, Wells Fargo, whoever it may be, call the actual registered number on the, the website. Two-factor authentication in real life. A lot of people just think that two-factor is you know a code or an authentication, App on their phone, but in reality, a two-factor can be: Hey, my my is very trivial and very basic as it may seem. Your CEO could send you a text saying, "Hey, I need you to buy a two thousand dollars worth of Apple gift cards." I think we've all seen that. Anybody, hopefully, the listeners here can that'll resonate because we see it all the time. Just call your CEO and say, "Hey, did you just ask me for some Apple gift cards?" Enough people have heard about it that that's the two-factor. That's all you need. Just questioning the authenticity of some of the requests of AI is going to be the greatest thing that we can do right now for today, moving forward, just knowing that it's okay to question and ask when it comes to either moving money or making big changes within an organization or just spending some of your own money.
1: Yeah, I've, I've been blown away by some of the stuff. One of the things they talk about with spotting phishing emails, like spelling mistakes or bad right. grammar is like, man, anyone with ChatGPT now can be reasonably competent at their communication, and just questioning the stuff that I see online. I know from a reputation management, I saw a famous photo a couple of months ago of Elon Musk, photorealistic Elon Musk, hand in hand with the CEO of General Motors on a date. And just for five seconds, you might think that's real. And now you've got to be like, everything you see right. on the internet. It's yeah. probably fake, anything that's a bit outlandish. Well,
0: it kind of comes back to what I was talking about earlier, you know, the cognitive tunneling. So if I can get you to be focused on me, you're never going to question, well, why would he not be on a date with them? You know, But then start thinking about critical thinking skills, You know, take a step back, take a breath, and then just question, this doesn't feel right. You know, mm-hmm. I think a, a client yesterday sent me something where an organization was asking to validate their social security card. You know? no one does that. That's not going to be a thing. And if they are, they will make a point to let you know in other ways. You're not going to get an email. No one's going to call you over the phone. There will be an official conduit to get that information. So again, I think getting back to the AI is just taking a breath, take a step back, evaluate it, say, does this really make sense? Taking that extra 10 to 15 seconds will save you 10 to 15 days, if not months, if it becomes a, you know, some sort of ransomware attack and we've seen that. So,
1: All right, Ben, we're coming up on all the time that I promised yeah. to steal from you today. What's yeah. the main takeaway you want listeners to remember from our conversation?
0: All right, main takeaways, I think I'll do two, I'll do a macro and a micro. Macro is become aware that you wouldn't give a stranger on the street, the keys to your house, the keys to your phone or the keys to your car and say, Hey, hold on to these for an hour or two, maybe a day, I'll be back. So don't trust them with your devices. Be aware of where you're plugging in your phone. Be aware what you're connecting your devices to, because at the end of the day, think about how much more damage someone can do to you reputationally. Let's think of text messages, phone or pictures, emails, and then also your bank account that can be accessed on your device and start treating your devices as if that is your home because it's the doorway to your digital home. And then at, on a micro level, I always get a kick out of this when I'm I'm working with clients is, there's no such thing as security question police. So never tell the truth. Your mother's maiden name. No one needs to know that, you know, you're not going to get put in jail for lying on security questions. So.
1: Ben, lots of great takeaways in this conversation. I learned a lot. I think the audience are going to learn a lot when this comes out. How can listeners get in touch with you if they want to learn more about what you're doing and the work that you guys are doing at 360 privacy?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you can contact us at info at 360privacy.io and just reference the July LifeRap podcast or me directly on LinkedIn.
1: All right, Ben, thanks again for being on the
0: show. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. Take care.
1: Again, that was Ben Barantine, Vice President of Executive Services at 360 Privacy. Thanks for listening to another episode of Talking Threat Intelligence sponsored by LifeRap. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to these episodes. And if you'd like more insights on building a successful threat intelligence program, be sure to check out our resource page at lightgraphinc.com slash blog. That's lightgraphinc.com slash blog. And I hope you tune in next time.